Yes. <laughs> now that you have permission. So as you know, we are doing a series which started out as being a six-week series, but now is a seven-week series on the Lord's Prayer. Basically, just those four or five verses are what we're going to be amplifying and allowing the Lord to, uh, to amplify in each of us. Uh, I was thinking to myself, why? Why are we doing this? Of course, that's uh, weeks five, I think, when you ask why. Because remember, we're going by the format, who, what, what, where, when, how, why. That's the seven-week outline, right? We're doing what twice because there's too much what. But, uh, but we are going to um, continue to seek with the best of our abilities. But the question is why? Why are we spending so much time on the Lord's Prayer? Now, remember, I grew up in a tradition where we would do the Lord's Prayer frequently. We would repeat it as it was some kind of a rote thing that you just do, like you're, you know, bless this food, you know, for our nourishment, amen, you know, or now I lay me down to sleep, that kind of thing. So it was some kind of a rote prayer that really didn't mean a whole lot, but we just did it repetitively because we felt like that's what you're supposed to do. But the thing I discovered along the road is, is that there's more to it than that. Just like with, with anything biblical or anything spiritual, there's always more. Uh, we, go, we get in a set routine. We go to church, we take up the offering, we sing our songs, we, we take communion, we say amen, and then we go home. You know, we do these things repetitively over and over and over. But the thing is that God has been imposing upon me or, or just regenerating in me is this mindset. There's more. There's as much more to it as you want, and then some. And so the, the thing is that so many of us get set, we get, we get content, and we get used to a certain thing, and, and we just start expecting that certain thing. And, you know, sometimes if you throw a curveball, you'll get upset. But, but, but the thing is that God wants me to impress upon you, there's more to this. There is so much more. And if you would just dig into it, you will find the treasures of life that exist in these words and in these pages. And it truly will breathe life into you. I just, I believe that. I've seen it happen. I've felt it. I've experienced it. I know it can happen. So I want to encourage you, regardless of how long you've been a Christian, whether it's been a couple weeks or, or a couple centuries. I'm not going to call you out, Bob. I'm just kidding. Um, not just one century. Um, anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm being bad again. The thing is that regardless how long you've been a believer, a Christian, there's more. There is so much more than you know or have ever experienced that you have ever been taught. There's more. And I tell you, I was one of those right out of seminary that I was taught how to write a three-point sermon outline, and I would write it down, and I would type out the stories. I had a joke or a story at the beginning and one at the end to kind of loosen it up, and, and those three valid points in the middle and I would read it to you I would say okay now this is what God told me and I would read it and and afterwards I'd say wow that was a good sermon you know I would do those things and I've heard other preachers do that too I know a preacher who will read his sermon and if he gets tired or winded or whatever he'll stop and he call up one of the the deacons or elders of his church to come up he'll say okay start right here and finish it for me I'm serious I'm not making it up but the thing is, there's so much more. There's so much more. And, and, and you're not going to know how, much, how life-changing this is until you start digging it for your own. Digging in it, not digging it. We all dig it. 
And so today we're going to be looking at four things. Like I said, last week we started the what. We got into uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, today we're going to be looking at four more things, starting with four verbs. Give, forgive, lead, and deliver. Those are the four things that we're going to look at today. And so as we pray and we lift up our concerns to the Lord and we seek his counsel, we seek his presence, we invoke his will upon our lives, we also lift up this phrase, give us today our daily bread. Now there's a whole lot here to this. This is why I really could use a whole day just on this. We know that medically speaking, that bread is a sustaining element. That if you have nothing else to eat at home, you can eat bread and it will sustain you for a period of time. You will not, I I don't believe, I've not seen any research on this, but you will not starve to death if you eat bread every day of your life. I mean, it depends on how much, right? If you just have one of those little communion wafers, you might be struggling. But... The way I've seen most of you cook, yeah, bread, you could you could live off of it with some butter. Uh, but anyway, that's not the point. That's not the point. So the thing is, is that bread equates with food to us, but it also should equate to sustenance. Bread is the, the main element that we need to carry us from one day to the next, right? So this needs to also be seen as not just physical bread, but spiritual bread, because this also can be seen metaphorically. I'll tell you about that in a second. But physically, we know that we need bread. Spiritually, we need spiritual bread also. Uh, Sometimes, uh, I I don't call it bread usually, I'll just call it a bone. And I'll say this, spiritually speaking, that a lot of times, God throws me a bone when I need it the most. In other words, he'll give me something to chew on that will carry me through for a couple more days. He won't completely answer the prayer or answer my need, but he will give me something to just carry me on for a little bit longer. God is very good with his timing. He's never late. He's always on time. He's never early either. He's always just right on time. But he does that. So there's a spiritual bread we need to look at as well. And in either way, we need to trust him. Every day for the provision of that bread, spiritual and physical. Now, what he wants to teach us also through this, but also through just all of life, all of scripture, is that um, he wants us to develop a dependence upon him. That's, That's what a lot of this is about. The first three petitions in this Lord's Prayer is about God honoring him, glorifying him, his will be done, his kingdom come. It's all about focusing on God, right? The, the last four or five is about us. And understand, not me individually. You'll never see me or I in the Lord's Prayer. It's always us or our. That means it's all collective, right? It's individual, yes, but it's collective. We don't pray individually. That's a key to, to prayer. It's not about what I need or what I want. It's about what we need and what we want. We have to start thinking globally instead of just individually. But as we go through this, we need to keep our focus on the fact that we need to lean on God for daily sustenance, spiritual and physical. If we don't lean on him for those things, then there's the potential risk that we could become idolaters. Idolatry is the act of putting anything above and beyond God, putting anything uh, more significant in our lives as God. 
So it's possible as a kid, this is what I did as a kid, I'm sure a lot of kids do, is I trusted in my dad to provide the bread. And I leaned on him to provide that bread, and I trusted him for that bread, and I never went hungry, obviously. Right? But God doesn't want me dependent upon my father. He wants me dependent upon him, my heavenly father. And that's what my dad taught me, is don't don't completely rely on me because I won't be here forever. And to be honest, God is the one who gives it to me, so don't think I'm anything special. But instead, put your focus on him. I, I didn't know what he meant at the time, but I know now. So we need to learn how to lean on him for his that daily provision. Now, there's a couple nuances to this that we need to just throw out there. When it's talking about our daily bread, here's a question for you. Is it talking about today, the day that we're currently in, or is it talking about the day tomorrow? Think about that for a moment, and I'll show you that there might be an answer. It's both and. If you go to Exodus 16 and Matthew 24, you're going to find a couple things which I find interesting. In Matthew, uh, or let's do Exodus first. In Exodus 16, this is the story of the Exodus. Uh, Moses is leading the whiny, complaining people of Israel to the promised land, and he's got to put up with an awful lot, right? And, and no, he did more than just change the, the hymns to, to praise music. It was more than that, right? It was a whole lot more. Now, I hope I'm not stepping on toes. Yeah, I do. But anyway, so it was more than that. He actually was taking them from Israel where they were in slavery, but they had three square meals a day to a desert region where they didn't know what they were going to eat. That is the cause for a lot of whining and complaining. But when you get down to chapter 16, verse 12, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. That phrase, what is it, is the definition. It's manna. It means, what is it? Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And this is what the Lord has commanded. One of you shall gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person and you put it in your tent. Skip down just a little bit. Down to verse 16. No, verse 19. Moses said to all of them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it until morning. But it was filled with maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. So here's the whole thing. God promised them, okay, I will provide for you bread. This is what you need to sustain you. I'll give you meat as a treat in the evenings if you're good. But in the morning, I will give you bread to sustain you. You are to gather that bread every day, and that bread will sustain you for one day. And when you go to bed at night, do not think for a minute you can save it until morning because it's not made to last till morning. Why is that? Because if it lasts until morning, you will start putting your faith in your ability to preserve it instead of me to provide it. 
And so God fills it with maggots because he wants our focus on him. And so here's the crazy thing. We have a lot of people in this world that have a lot of money. They have a lot of provision. I was thinking about this about 4 a.m. this morning. If we were to lose our jobs, don't think it. But if we were to lose our jobs and we had to get by with nothing, how long would it take till we ran out of food going on what we have right now? And I'm guessing maybe 30 days. It's going to get pretty ugly, though. We will consider eating children. I'm just saying. But the fact is, about 30 days, and, and that's because of wealth. We are a wealthy people. We're a wealthy culture. We have enough to sustain us. But because of that, we don't put our daily dependence on God. So in a way, I'm wondering, is there maggots attached to it? Is there a stench attached to it? Anything that is not of God is stench-worthy. I'm not saying we need to just get clear our cabinets out and only have stuff to get us through till tomorrow because the culture has changed, the time has changed. But how about spiritually speaking? Do you have just enough spiritual vitality to get you through till tomorrow? Do you trust in God every single day to, to provide for you spiritual bread? That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to be so hungry for him and so deprived from the world that you come to him every day just chomping at the bit to get another piece of bread. Matthew chapter 24, look at this one. This is pretty cool stuff. So I think with the, with the Exodus story, we can see that, well, I didn't really illustrate this very well, but the, the bread that we have today has already been given to us. So we don't need to pray for today's bread. He already gave it to us this morning. We have enough to get us through till tomorrow. We, we have that already. So when we pray for daily bread, I don't think we really need to pray for today's. But tomorrow's, we do. Praying for tomorrow's bread is also a foreshadowing of the eschaton. Eschaton is the end times, when Christ returns to us. In Matthew 24, 30 and 31, it says that at that, at that time, the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with great power and great glory. Our bread is coming tomorrow. Now, some of you would say, well, that doesn't make any sense. You're not talking about bread. Well, then you forgot what John chapter 6 says. You might have forgotten John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, 32 and 33, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, the manna, but it is by my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The Old Testament bread was manna, meaning what is it? The New Testament bread is Jesus Christ. You know what it is. You don't have to ask. But it won't just sustain you for a day. It will sustain you eternally. Jesus is the bread of life. The second thing we need to look at is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
The Greek word for debt means to dismiss, or this is actually a forgive, uh, to dismiss what is owed. And it can be translated either debt or sin. Now we know that God's greatest gift to us is forgiveness through the cross, through Christ. That is the best thing he can do for us. Give us Jesus to die on the cross for us. By his blood, we have redemption from our sinfulness. We will not die in our sinfulness. We will be glorified in our new bodies because of what Christ did for us. Because God loved us so much that he gave his son. So we know that. We have that in our, in our bank, bank account now. We know that we have forgiveness. But what's interesting is that there is a little uh, implicit attachment here. I said it better. I said, oh, it's a presupposing forgiveness. I like that word, presupposing forgiveness. That's attached to this particular phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts. Yes, God, we have received that forgiveness, most of us. We, we continue to receive forgiveness because we continue to do stupid stuff. Uh, but, but here's the thing. That's attached to another phrase, as we also have forgiven our debtors. There is a direct correlation between our forgiving, getting forgiveness from God and our dispensing it to others. It's not an option. It's not a choice. It's an obligation. And the scriptures make it clear in verse 14. He says this, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Almost like it's a contingency plan. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. That's heavy stuff right there. There's an obligation, but here's the problem. What happens if you just went through a painful divorce where your spouse has left you and you are hurting and you're grieving and you're bitter and angry? How can you possibly forgive that person? Well, you probably can't today, but that should always be your goal. Today might be difficult, but God will sustain you today and tomorrow if you'll just lean on him and trust him for this. The worst thing you can do in any situation is to make up your mind, I refuse to forgive that person, I will never do so, and I I promise you this, I will never get to a place where I forgive that person for what they did. Then you might want to read this passage. Then do you really expect that God's going to forgive you for what you did? Well, we like to think, but their sin is much worse than mine. Well, not in God's standard of measurement, it isn't. Sin is sin. So this is problematic. But this is also why we have to pray it daily. Even before someone has offended you to that level of anger and bitterness. If you just get in the habit of forgiving, 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 and distributing it like a cup of water to a thirsty person, then you will be a lot more applicable to this when the time comes. You'll be a lot more able when the time comes. It'll still sting. It'll still hurt, and you'll still want to spit in their face. But forgiveness can come if you stay attached to the Father because He is the source of love. He's the source of grace. He's the source of forgiveness. So we have to pray this every day. Is this how you pray? Is this how you pray? Lord, forgive me, but help me to forgive those who hurt me. Even when you can't think of who may have hurt you. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other. 
Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Forgiveness. You know, I've made a lot of mistakes in this life. And on an earthly standard, I have surpassed most of you with my capacity and the depth of my sinfulness. But when I came into a young lady's life by the name of Paige, and I started telling her the things I've done, she didn't run. She forgave. And I still today, I'm like, how could you possibly forgive me for what I've done? And she will say, it's because God has forgiven me of what I've done. That's what makes it all tolerable. That's what makes it all possible. The third thing it says is, lead us not into temptation. This is very important. It's connected very closely to number four. But lead us not into temptation. If you look this up in the Greek, you're going to find a lot of different ways of translating. I just want to read a few of them. One of them is, do not cause or allow us into temptation. Do not lead us into temptation. Or when we are put to the test... Do not allow temptation to follow, or do not bring us into temptation at all. In all of those situations, the focus is upon God, is that there's some connection to him being responsible for that temptation. Well, we're going to have to unfold this to make sense of it. If you'll go to James chapter 1 a minute, this is probably my favorite book of the Bible, Garrett, since you asked. James is probably the one. It's funny what text messages you'll get at like midnight. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. Or how to make brownies. You know, we get those two or something like that. Anyway, um, in James chapter 1, beginning with verse 13, it says this. This is the James wisdom. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. You are not being tempted by God to do anything. God doesn't do that. He will test you, but he will not tempt you. It says here, but each one of us is tempted when by our own evil desire, we are dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. So the reason you're tempted is because that is the makeup and the configuration of your heart. You know, what tempts you isn't going to tempt me. I guarantee you I have never in my life been tempted to go to the mall and shop all day. I have never been tempted. Never. I have never been tempted to get piercings in my ears, my nose, my lips, or any other part of my anatomy. That just doesn't entice me. But I tell you what, if there's an apple pie on the counter, we're going to have a problem. Because temptation will manifest. But lead us not into temptation. You see, when we're we're tested, and God is going to test us to see where our heart is, to see where our faith is, to see where, where we're integritous, Where we're weak, he's going to test us in those areas. 
And there's going to be times when in the middle of the testing, you're going to be tempted to do something with that. Uh, I think it's in Matthew 4.4. Let me see if this is the right one. It might not be here. Yeah, Matthew 4.4, the temptation of Christ. Jesus was led uh, in the beginning here, verse 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. You want to know where temptation comes from? There it is. (laughs) Temptation of the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That was Jesus' test. During his test, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus should have said, Dude, I am bread. All right? Try again. But no, this was a valid temptation. It's no, he, he was trying to, he had the ability to turn rocks into bread. He had the ability. He could do that and feed himself. But he's like, no, it's, it's written, man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. But the temptation was real. So we're to pray, and this is Jesus teaching this. He's like, dudes, remember this. I've learned this from experience. What I'm telling you is gospel truth. This is gold here. You can take this to the bank. When you're being tested, pray to the Lord. Do not let us into temptation. Protect us from temptation. Do not lead us into temptation. Put us on a different path. No matter how badly we want it, Lord, if you could do something to intervene, that would be marvelous. And so God tells us this. If you're ever overburdened, tired, exhausted, call on me. I will give you rest. In the midst of temptation, we can call a friend. We can call God. We can pray to him. Say, Lord, get me out of this temptation. He will deliver us because he's good for that. But we got to have that mindset and that determination to call out to him. And the reason this is so, so important is because of number four. Deliver us from the evil one. When you're in the midst of a test, I promise you the evil one will show up. In the midst of a test, whatever that test is, and that test could be different for everybody at different points of your life. I can just give you some examples of testing. When you go through a divorce and you want to get right back into another relationship that's even worse than the first one, be careful. When, when you're, you have a history of addiction, and you're going through a stressful moment like you just lost a job or gone through a divorce or lost a child, be very careful. You will be tempted to go back to that addiction. Whenever you're just barely struggling financially, just barely surviving, and you see an advertisement for this new curved TV with a smart controller to it and and massage buttons and all this stuff, you're going to be so tempted to order that because of some compulsion in you. But don't do it. You may be tempted to cheat on your taxes when you're going through your tax season. But there's so many different ways. But when you're being tested, just count on it. The evil one will show up. And this is what, in the Greek it says, either deliver or rescue us from the evil one. Rescue seems a little bit more definitive because it implies that you're already in his grasp. And that is when you should cry out. But if you can cry before then, it would save you a whole lot of trouble. I'll just tell you that. But deliver us or rescue us from the evil one. We all must be conscious that we're in a spiritual battle. 
regardless of how old you are or how mature you are in your spiritual walk. You are in a battle, a spiritual battle. The devil wants you dead. John 11, uh, 11.35, I believe it is. John 10.35. Um, the good shepherd, he comes through the door, right? But the bad shepherd, the evil one, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So we know that. Um, that's his, his job. We are in a spiritual battle. We have to be well equipped. John 4, 4, going back to Jesus in the desert. He had to be delivered from the evil one because he was weak at that moment. The Lord loved, I mean, the devil loves to attack when we are weak. That's why it is so important for us to gather together as a group so that we can support each other and hold each other accountable and, and just protect each other. But if you've ever seen movies or, you know, these videos on YouTube, you'll see that where there's like a lion and it's going to prey upon, you know, some goats or whatever it is, uh, that they always attack the goat that's over by itself. They won't attack the one in the middle of the herd. They attack the one who's isolated. So don't isolate yourself. But when you're being tested, go to church and be active in your community of faith and your small group. And let them pray for you. Let them protect you. So basically, this is what I got out of uh, the Lord's Prayer this week. This is the what of what we should be praying for. And I just want to stress that one key finding. This is not about you individually. But I wonder, and when you all pray, how much of your prayer is self-centered? How much of it is self-focused? How much of it is self-reliant? Self-gratifying? Self-developing? This has been a conviction that I've had, and I've had to change the way I pray. Like I say, yeah, it's still okay. If that's where you are spiritually, it's okay to pray those things as long as you're praying. But I just want to add... There's so much more. There's so much more. This is what we're looking at. We're looking at getting to the place of spiritual maturity where we are so outwardly focused that we don't have time to look inwardly as much. That we're just, we're just giving it to others. We're, we're, we're building up the kingdom. We're serving the kingdom. We're doing everything we can for others because that's what God wants And we're being self-fulfilled because when we give it, God never lets us run empty. It just keeps regenerating in us. And we just keep finding the strength to keep going on and keep loving and forgiving. And that's so much better than it was years ago when I was praying, Lord, please help me get out of bed today. Yes. But that was also a test. It was a test till the devil showed up. You're right. Thank you for that. Anybody else? Y'all feel free to jump in anytime. You know me. But that's it. There's so much more. But we have to dig into it. So let's pray. Gracious Father, we are all flawed people. My sins are no better or no worse than anyone else in this place. We're all on equal footing. We all stand in need of your grace. We all are in need of your forgiveness. We're all in need of your spirit to lead us, to protect us, to guide us, to nourish us, and to empower us.
Father, please hear our prayers for help. Meet us where we are. But don't leave us where you find us. Continue to develop us. Strengthen us. Help us to get hungry for this bread that will sustain us for a lifetime. Not just so that we can have it, but so that we can give it to others. Because, Lord, there's a lot of hungry people in this world. We pray that you'll help us to be patient with ourselves. We pray that you'll help us to be dedicated to you. And we pray that at the end of every day, we'll be able to look back and say, God has been very good to me today. You are the reason we come. You're the reason we worship. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and...